Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Magna Academy campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. So we're in a season of, I guess, focused and intensified prayer here at Sunny Hill. We really, um, we are convicted to the core that we can't do and become all that God has in his heart for us to do and become, unless prayer really is at the very heart of what we're about here at Sunny Hill. We need to be a praying people, right? God has got so much for us, so many good things in his heart and in his mind for us, so many resources to dispense to us, and the way we open ourselves up to all that God is and all that God wants to do is by coming to him in prayer regularly, intentionally and in a focused manner and so we just we, we know that prayer is important but in this season we're just beginning to feel it that we, we need to be a praying people and so um, we're really calling all of us just to refocus again on the importance of prayer and we're praying that these next few weeks will be a real significant milestone in the life of Sunny Hill we're praying that something in our culture something in our hearts will shift over these weeks in regard to the importance and our dedication to prayer. So we've been gathering throughout the week, praying together. I hope you've managed to make it along to at least one of our prayer gatherings. Um, they're really powerful. God comes and God moves and God speaks. Um, we've got several more going on over the next couple of weeks, so please do try and get down to at least one of them. There's one tonight at 6, and then Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evening at 6 to 7 at Corf Mullen, and then the following week. So please do come down. And get stuck in and let's call on the name of Jesus together. At the conclusion of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're going to be launching a prayer course, which is a five or six week exploration, really, of the whole theme of prayer, focusing in on the Lord's Prayer. And we really want to encourage you to try and engage with it. There will be three small groups that will be running um, this course for five or six weeks between now and and Christmas. Richard's going to give you more information about that a bit later. You can sign up and register for it today, but I just want to encourage you, as best I can, to really consider seriously getting getting stuck into one of those groups and registering for one of them. Um, so prayer is a, prayer's a funny thing, right? It's, a, it's an interesting thing because um, I think on the one hand, prayer is really quite simple. Right? It's just talking to God. That's all prayer is. Right? That's the most basic, simple definition of what it is. It's just talking to God. So it's, it's kind of simple, but yet, on the other hand, it, it, it can be quite complex and frustrating in some ways because um, there really isn't a single or simple formula that you can wrap around prayer. Right? There, there isn't. Um, there aren't any kind of strict rules or guidelines um, when it comes to the practice of prayer, not in the Christian faith, at least, right? I mean, in, in, in other faiths, there are there are some more clear guidelines and rules when it comes to the, the practice of prayer that help to make the whole thing a bit more neat and tidy. And so in other faiths, it may be that you, you, you have to pray at, a certain, pray at a certain time of the day, or you have to pray in a particular way or you have to adopt a certain posture when you're praying or you have to face a certain direction. Other faiths kind of have those guidelines and those rules, but the Christian faith doesn't. There isn't any 
rules, not hard and fast rules when it comes to the practice of prayer. Now the scriptures give us plenty of examples of prayer all over the place, right? And plenty of models of prayer and plenty of principles concerning prayer, but there, there aren't any rules and so it can be quite a difficult and frustrating thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but sometimes you you set aside time to pray, and you sit down to pray, or kneel down, or whatever you do, and sometimes you just, you just like, I, I don't know what to pray, right? Has anyone ever, ever experienced that? Only a few, yeah, that's right, yeah. And sometimes you just like, I don't even know how to pray, right? Because sometimes you feel like it would be easier if there was just a set rules and guidelines and manual, if you like, for prayer, but there aren't really any of those in the Christian faith. But what the Bible, the example of the prayers of the Bible teaches is that there really are many, many different ways to pray. There are many different forms that prayer can take, many different expressions of prayer. And so prayer can be just giving thanks, right? Just giving thanks to God for his goodness and all he's done in our lives. That can be prayer. Prayer can be just exalting God, you know, just proclaiming and declaring who God is and what he's done. Prayer can be like adoration or devotion, just pouring out your heart and telling God how much you love him and how much he means to you. Prayer can even be, and often is actually in the Bible, it can be kind of lamenting and complaining, right? You read through the book of Psalms, and half of them at least are are psalms of lament where you get these great men of God coming before God and David says, I, I pour out my complaint to you. This broken man is pouring out his pain and his complaint, his complaint to God. Prayer can be sort of petition, just asking God to do something, to do something for us. Prayer, prayer can be intercession, which is praying on behalf of another person or another, um, or, or another situation. There is... There is no real one way of doing prayer. There are lots of different forms and expressions that prayer can take. And so our goal for the last few weeks, as we're focusing in on prayer, um, has not really been to try and and deliver like a, a comprehensive overview of all that prayer is and all that prayer means. That's not been our goal at all. In fact, our goal in this short series on prayer has has really just been to to try and stretch your thinking a little bit in the whole area of prayer. To try and add some perhaps new or to recover some language for you in your understanding of prayer and maybe to, to, to share some new principles when it comes to prayer. So it's not a comprehensive overview and so, uh, two weeks ago, Dom spoke about persistent prayer, i.e. the idea that um, sometimes you just need to persist. And he went to Luke chapter 18, where Jesus tells a parable about a persistent woman who just kept going. And Jesus says, sometimes you just got to keep asking, don't give up, right? And then last week, he spoke about purposeful prayer. He talked about prayer as, as a weapon, if you like, against the kingdom of darkness and the rule of evil. And this week, I'd like us to think about this concept that I have labelled provocative prayer. I don't actually think it's the best title for what I'm going to be talking about, but it's the best title beginning with P that I could find, right? So we have to stick to P so that you remember them. So provocative prayer. And what I mean by that is that I think there are some prayers 
that provoke a response from God in ways that other prayers won't, right? I think there are some ways that we can approach God that move his hand in a way that would not have moved his hand had we approached him in another way. And so I'd like us to think about this whole area of provocative prayer. And I'd love us to do that by opening our Bibles together. So if you can turn, if you've got a Bible, an iPad or an iPhone, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 15, that would be terrific. I think it is going to come up on the screen for us as well. But Matthew chapter 15, and while you're doing that, can I ask a question? Has anyone ever been shocked by Jesus? Yeah, a couple of people up back there. Anyone ever been surprised by some of the ways Jesus speaks and behaves in the Gospels? Anyone? Yeah. Good, that, that, that's more honest. If you haven't, I, I really think you should be. I think perhaps you're not reading the Bible carefully enough. You should be shocked by Jesus. You need a God that shocks you, right? You need a God that shocks you. And so perhaps read a bit more carefully if you've never been shocked. But... But, but it's interesting because I've been following Jesus for quite a while now, since I was a boy. And I've been reading the Bible and loving the Bible for a long time. And so I've read through the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, um, numerous times, right? And I, I kind of felt like I'd got to a place where I knew Jesus quite well, right? I, I, I kind of felt like I knew what made him tick and how he fought. And I kind of, I kind of felt like I'd got to a place where... I could almost predict um, the way that Jesus would respond or behave in any given situation, right? I had kind of got this framework or this box which I built around Jesus, but this week, reading this passage, it just blew Jesus out of that box that I've made for him, right? It just completely shocked and surprised me in a way that I'd never seen before. The passage we're going to read, I've read numerous times. But I've never been shocked by the way Jesus engages in this encounter before. And so, prepare to be shocked. I hope you are, at least, with the way that Jesus responds. So, we're going to be in Matthew 15, 21. And it, it says this. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So here comes this woman, this woman who is in a desperate state with a desperate need. And she comes to Jesus because she needs him to meet her need. And the text we just read says she was crying out to Jesus. 
Um, in fact, in the text, it seems to suggest that she kept crying out to Jesus. So, so, so for an extended period of time, this desperate woman was crying out to Jesus. Now, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, not English. And so the version you have is a translation of the original words there. Now, the, the, the Greek word where it says the woman was crying out is actually this word krasos. Okay? Can you say krasos with me? Krasos, right? That's the Greek word that has been translated as crying out in that version. Now, what English word do you think we get from the Greek word krasos? Crazy, right? Crazy. And so what we're seeing in this encounter is this picture of a crazy woman. Right? A crazy woman with a desperate need coming to Jesus and continually for an extended period of time crying out to him to meet her need. A crazy woman crying out to Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He ignores her. And she keeps crying out. And when he does, and when he does eventually respond to her, he calls her a dog. Right? Jesus, the king of compassion, the gentle, tender, mild, the one who had a big, big heart, who had time and love for everyone, this desperate, crazy woman comes to him, begins crying out because she has a need that she needs him to, to meet, and he responds by ignoring her. And then calling her a dog. Jesus, right? Are you shocked by that? Yeah. I was, and I am still. Jesus ignores a woman who is in need and calls her a dog. And so what is going on in this short encounter? And what on earth does it all have to do with prayer? You may well be asking. Well, I think it's got something very deep and profound and powerful to teach us about prayer. But I think to get at the meaning, I think we need to create a bit of backdrop. I think we need a bit of Bible overview here. So I'm just going to fill you in on the story of the Bible very quickly. Is that okay? Yeah. Right? So Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, everything was good. God created a good, a very good place where everything was perfect and harmonious etc, etc. Now you know we stuffed it up, right? We stuffed it up big time. Genesis 3, we made a mistake. So whereas in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, everything was good and beautiful and perfect, Genesis 3 comes and now everything's broken and ugly and disordered. I mean, it's a tragic story. But God was not content to leave the world that he had made in that state. And he was not content to leave the people that he had made in that state. And so God set about restoring and renewing everything that had been broken. And the way he did that was by making promises. He came and he promised that he would restore and renew everything that had been broken. And the way he decided to do that, the way he decided to restore and renew this broken world that we live in was by doing it through one man and his family. 
And so in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to a man called Abraham, and he makes a promise to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want to give you a huge family. You're going to be the father of a great nation, the nation that would eventually become Israel. And he makes a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. In other words, I'm going to pour out my renewing, restoring, and redeeming life upon you. And then he says, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so God promised to bring blessing and restoration to the whole earth, but the way he promised to do that was through one man and his family. He would pour his blessing and his redemption and his renewal and his restoration out on Abraham, who would become Israel. And from Israel, the blessing and the love of God would flow forth to all four corners of the earth. That was the way God decided to restore all that had been broken. And so what you see is that for the entire Old Testament period, the saving, blessing, redeeming, life-giving activity of God was almost, almost exclusively, not entirely, but almost exclusively confined to the people and the nation of Israel. God was going to restore the whole earth, but the way he was going to do it was by restoring Israel first, and their restoration would begin to spread into all the earth. And so when Jesus comes in the New Testament, the same pattern is followed, right? Jesus, who was the very embodiment of the blessing and life and redeeming and restoring power of God, who was God himself in the flesh, the same pattern was followed when he came. So when Jesus came, he came to Israel first, right? He came to Israel, and the idea was that as he came to Israel, the blessing and the life of God would spread into all the earth. That's why when this woman comes to Jesus asking for a blessing, asking for her need to be met, Jesus says to her, woman, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You see, this woman is not from Israel. She's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. And, she, and, and, and Jesus says, woman, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You see, God did intend and did promise to bless and restore the whole earth. But the way he was going to do that was by blessing and restoring Israel first, right? And so it wasn't really until after Jesus had risen again and gone back to heaven that the blessing and the life of God really began to break out across the earth. It wasn't really until Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost when the redemption and the salvation and the life of God really began to spread like wildfire throughout the world. But until then, it was largely confined to Israel. And now here's this woman, this Canaanite woman. In other words, she is not of the people of Israel. She does not belong to Israel. She's a non-Jew and she comes to, eat, uh, to Jesus and she says, I've got a need, I've got a desperate need that I need you to meet. I need you to bless me, Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And then, he, 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 and then Jesus delivers this kind of parabolic type sentence where he said, it is not right to take the bread from the children and toss it to the dogs. In other words, Jesus is saying to this woman, woman, you, you don't belong at the table. You don't belong at the table. You're not part of the family. And so I can't give to you the blessing 
that belongs to Israel. That's what Jesus was saying. It's astonishing and shocking, really. But I think this woman's response is even more astonishing because she responds to Jesus' seeming refusal. She responds by saying, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. It's an astonishing response and it's full of faith. Because here's what this woman is saying. She's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I know that the blessing and the love that you carry can spill over into my life as well. That's what this woman is saying. She's saying, I know that the blessing and the life that you carry can spill over into my life as well. Now don't ask me how she knew it, right? Don't ask me how she knew these things. Maybe, maybe somehow, somehow she had heard the, sto- the great stories of God's redemption and power in the past for the people of Israel. Maybe, maybe somehow she had heard the Hebrew scriptures being read, the scriptures that talk about God's desire and God's promise to bless and restore all of mankind. Maybe she'd heard that. Maybe, maybe even the Holy Spirit had somehow revealed something to her in the depth of her being. Maybe. But in her response, she was essentially saying to Jesus, Jesus, I know your heart's big enough for me as well. Jesus, I know your grace runs wide enough for me as well. Jesus, I know that there's compassion in your heart for me as well. Somehow she knew that God's desire and God's plan was to one day break out of Israel so that every nation and every tongue and every tribe could receive the restoring and the redeeming life of God. Somehow she must have known that that was what God desired and promised to do. And so even in spite of Jesus' seeming resistance to her requests, she found the courage and the boldness and the audacity to essentially say to Jesus, Jesus, I need a blessing and I'm not going until I get one. I need a blessing and I'm not going until I get one. She knew what God's heart was about. She knew that God promised to bless every nation on earth. And so when she comes to Jesus and refuses to take no for an answer, it's like she's saying to God, God, what you have promised to do later, do it now. Right? What you have promised to do later, do it now. I know your heart's big enough. I know your grace is wide enough. I know your power is strong enough. I know that one day every nation on earth will be blessed. So what you have promised to do, this Canaanite woman is saying, do it now. Do it now. What you have promised to do later, do it now. And the reason I wanted us to reflect on this passage together in this mini-series about prayer is because I think through this encounter, I think God is inviting us to pray in a similar manner. That's good. I think God is giving us license here to come to Him, to come before Him with boldness 
audacity and courage and say, just like this woman, God, what you have promised to do later, do it now. And I think there are times when God gives us license and actually invites us to come to him and say, God, I need a blessing and I'm not going until I get one. What you have promised to do later, do it now. Do you know, that's kind of essentially what we're saying when, whenever we pray the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. It's kind of what we're doing when we pray that, that prayer. Because we know, don't we, that God has promised that one day his kingdom will come fully and completely, right? We know that his kingdom has come, it's broken in, but it's not come fully. But we know that one day, as it says in Revelation 11, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. We know that one day the kingdom of God is going to come fully and completely and this earth is going to be restored and renewed beyond anything that it has been in the past. We know that God has promised to do that and so when we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's essentially like we're saying, just like this woman to Jesus, God, what you have promised to do later, do it now. Do it now. God, what you have promised to do later, do it now. I don't know any of you who are, who, who are parents, but sometimes... In fact, oftentimes my parents will come, uh, my, my kids, sorry, will come to me and say, Dad, will you come and play with me? Would you play FIFA with me or football or do some colouring or do whatever it is? Will you come and do it? And if I'm tired or busy, what, what, I'll, what I'll tend to say is, yeah, I'll do it, but I'll do it later, right? I'll do it later. And they go away, but then they come back in like 30 seconds. And say, Dad, will you, will you do it now? Will you, will you come and play? And I'm like, no, 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 I'll do it later. And this exchange goes on and eventually I say, listen, I'm doing something right now. I'm, I'm busy t- taking care of something, but I, I promise I will do it. I promise I will come and play with you, but I'll do it later. And when I say I promise to my kids, I generally mean it, right? I generally mean that I will. I've got every intention of doing what I promise to do. But sometimes my kids just don't take no for an answer. They come and they say, Dad, now! <laughs> do it now! Play with me now! Let's crack open the... I was going to say champagne, but I don't know what. That's not how my kids roll. Let's crack open the Skittles or whatever. Now, do it now, right? It's just that childlike tenacity and boldness and courage. And I think God is inviting us to approach him that way sometimes, right? I think he is. I think he's saying there are times when you can come before me and you can begin to boldly and audaciously. Say, God, what you promised to do later, do it now. Do it now. Do it now. I think, I, think this, I think this is kind of the picture we're getting in this passage here. But I don't think it's only here that we get it. I think, I think the scripture teaches us this, this kind of approach and this principle on other occasions. Do you remember the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel, right? Genesis chapter 32. You can go there when you get home, but Jacob, this... Man, again, who God had promised to bless. God had spoken a promise of blessing over his life. And his life kind of spun a little bit out of control, to be honest. But he finds himself alone one night. And the Bible says he begins to wrestle with a man. And we discover later in the chapter that the man was God himself. And he begins to wrestle with the man all night long. It's an it's a arduous, it's a painful wrestling match. And it says, when the day was dawning, God who was wrestling Jacob, said to him, let me go, I need to go. And Jacob's response to God is, no, I will not let you go 
unless you bless me. Right? I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is holding on to God. To God! And he says, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you get away until you deliver what you have promised to me. I mean, it's a stunning, it's a staggering picture. And I think it's something that should inform our prayers from time to time. I really do. I don't think this is the way that we should always pray. But I think the scriptures, God invites us to approach him with that kind of boldness and that kind of tenacity where we come before him and we say to him, God, what you have promised to do later, do it now. I'm not waiting. Do it now. Do it now. And you may say, oh, that's kind of arrogant. Well, it's not. It's not at all arrogant. You see, Jacob and this woman were not arrogantly demanding a blessing from God. They were not demanding a blessing because they felt like they were entitled to a blessing or they felt like they were owed something from God, or they felt like they had earned something from God. I mean, this woman is quite happy to accept the fact that she's just a dog, right? She doesn't, she doesn't dispute that. She doesn't argue with Jesus about the fact that she's just a dog. I mean, it's like she's coming to Jesus and she's saying, you know what, I know I'm unworthy, right? I know I don't deserve anything. I know I haven't earned anything based on my own ability or my own strength. I know I don't deserve anything. And so she wasn't demanding a blessing based on her own arrogance. No, she was pleading for a blessing based on her confidence in the heart and the character of God. That's what gave her the boldness and the audacity just to begin to ask so courageously before God. The reason she was so bold, the reason she she felt at liberty to refuse Jesus' refusal was because she knew the promises of God. She knew that God's heart was full of grace and compassion and love. She knew that God's heart wanted to bless and restore and redeem and renew and to heal. She was confident in the heart of God. That's why she said to Jesus, Jesus, your blessing can spill over into my life and I'm not taking no for an answer. And that's what gave Jacob the courage to wrestle with God himself. Not because he felt like he was worthy, not because he felt like he had earned anything or deserved anything. He felt able to wrestle with God and to hold on until God delivered what he promised because he was confident in the faithfulness of God. Jacob was saying, I know you've promised to bless. And so deliver it, God. Deliver it. And so I think that we can learn from these encounters and I think they can inform our prayer life because in the same way I think there are times when we need to come before Jesus and say Jesus you know what I'm on God I don't deserve anything from you I don't earn anything from you I'm not entitled to anything desire is to bless and to save and to redeem and to restore and renew. I know that is your heart and I know it's your character. So Jesus, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not going nowhere until I get what I pay for. It's staggering and almost feels like the irreverent speaking of this. But I honestly think the scriptures give us license to pray in this way sometimes. Not all the time. Oh, 
invites us to come and to badger you. You promise God how to live. What you promise to do later. Do it now. And so my question to you, to us this morning as I bring it to a close is, is how confident are you when you come into the heart of the power of God? How confident are you? Are you confident enough to keep on asking even when it seems like Jesus is ignoring you? Prayer is always supposed to be about. I want to stretch you. 